Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Uplifting Women. I'm Kristen Strunk, and I'm here with my co-host, Holly Tesca. And we are excited to have with us today, Guillermo Gutierrez. Guillermo is a native of Mexico and has spent the last 16 years living and working in the U.S. Throughout his career, he has also lived and worked in India, the Fiji Islands, Canada, and Morocco. After he graduated from his university with a BA in marketing, he spent the next two and a half years working abroad where he discovered his professional calling in learning and development and cultural coaching. He came back to Mexico where he completed his master's degree in organizational development and joined Kohler Company in Mexico. Eventually, Kohler offered him the opportunity to relocate to the U.S. where he continued his career. In his almost 22 years of professional experience, he has had different corporate roles in human resources and also worked as a consultant for Fortune 500 companies in the areas of team and leadership development and cultural competence. He currently lives in Milwaukee with his wife, Ellen, the rest of his family, including his parents, his sister, his nephew and nieces live in the north of Mexico. He's an avid reader and enjoys playing sports and his current passion is pickleball. So he can be found most often on the pickleball court. Guillermo, welcome to the podcast. We are thrilled to have you with us today. I understand your current role at Manpower as the head of diversity, equity, inclusion, and equality. Is that a piece of what you have as well? The, the four words of yours is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Which, belonging. Uh, yeah, Wonderful. it's been a, a recent addition at the global, as a global framework. I love that. That's a great addition. And what I'd really like to understand is why this is such a passion for you in the space that you're currently working in. Yeah, thank you. And it's such a pleasure to be here. Um, thank you for having me. I think this was a personal passion before I discovered that this was also a profession and a practice. And, and the passion came both out of probably my personality and curiosity and the opportunities that I've had from a young age to be exposed to different people, to travel a little bit. When I was 12, the school that I was attending had a summer program as an exchange program in Ecuador. So I spent about six to seven weeks in Ecuador with a family there. And but it was same language, which was very helpful at the time for me to not have to worry about, you know, I just saw different things. A couple of years after I had my first experience learning English abroad, so I had a chance to be... Spent a few time, a few months in Canada. Now I had the language 
in addition to a very different culture to navigate, but it was still fun. It was still in a bubble. But those experiences uh, gave me the excitement about exploring thinking beyond what I knew. And I kept pursuing those opportunities later on in college. And I think that's what led me to decide to uh, begin my career, which I didn't know I was going to do, but I chose towards the end of my degree or experience to apply for this program that led me to work in India and be in Fiji Islands. And so I say this because I every step, every experience that I had and every opportunity that I had to be exposed to something different um, taught me about differences in a positive way. Uh, that's not experience for everyone. And why, by the time I felt that uh, this was something I could do to go live in another country. I was curious and thirsty to learn about others. And, and that helped me start this journey, again, in a very positive light, in a way that enriched my personal life and helped me understand myself uh, better, gave me some confidence, also challenged my assumptions about the world. And so I, get, I gain a lot from diversity and from seeing how people can connect and, and the richness that we can add to each other with that. So, so th th that's where I became passionate um, about the topic and about this, having these experiences before I stumbled into the profession and the practice. That is a great segue into the conversation around what makes this so fundamentally part of who you are and, and how you approach the work that you do uh, and the way that you do it. I'm curious in your experience, if you have seen changes in this space and what are some of the things that you are noticing recently in your professional environment that make this a little bit more visible, a little bit more urgent, a little bit more at the forefront of the conversations that we're having now? Yeah, it's a great question and one that I could uh, talk about have talked about for hours in the past. So I'll start with changes that I've seen in this practice. My first role, as I said, I stumbled into the role when I work at Color. This was in 2008 or nine, I believe. And the, the tone of the conversation was beginning to shift more to business, at least in, in the conversation that I was part of. There are some organizations where that conversation had been about business for a longer time, probably because they have been at this work and have a practice and resources dedicated for much longer. But there was a still a transition that was happening from this work being about justice and about addressing inequalities and in some ways helping some to be part of the whole in an environment where they were not always either treated that way or found that way. And so we talk about gender, we talk about race, ethnicity, LGBTQ. Disability was there in the conversation, again, not as prevalent as we, we look at it now. And so we, it was still a focus on, and I think a perception of this work is for some, um, and we need to help the majority of the dominant group uh, get better at how we treat those numerical minorities or people who are underrepresented, underserved. So it made the very important because that's how this world was born. And we're still addressing some of those inequalities. So we have, we're not done and we have to continue to focus on thinking about the equity uh, and barriers to uh, equity and fairness. What has changed is that we realize that without that dominant group and majority believing that this work is also about them, then it falls to the few to keep pushing the boulder up the mountain. And 
this is work that we all need to care about because it makes the world, our workplaces, our homes, our communities, our society, a better place for all, not just for a few groups. And, and so I, I see us talking more broadly. And that approach has been challenged, uh, I will say, in the last few years, because we've this rediscovered or remembered, I don't know what's the right term, that what we thought was addressing society and some of those systemic and pervasive inequalities and really discrimination and marginalization is alive and well. And not only because the systems process, but because also beliefs um, and mindsets haven't shifted as much as we wanted to believe that they have. And so the idea of coming together and trying to figure this out together, I think have been, has been challenged by the polarization has existed because of a political and social environment. But it's never, it has never been more important to remember that this is about solving something together that benefits all of us. And, and so that, that's what I think is crucial that in this moment, we work towards actions and um, not just talking to each other about what could be or what we aspire to see, but we see different. And I, I think that's what makes the conversation even more critical than ever before. Guillermo, I, I love that perspective. And I, I think you're right on. And in, in my view, I think the pandemic, giving people an opportunity to step back and reevaluate everything in their lives has really shown a spotlight on just how far we haven't come. I think we were kidding ourselves for a very long time that, oh my gosh, we made all this progress. And the reality is eh, we haven't made nearly as much progress as we need to. I love that perspective. Having lived in a number of different countries as you have. You have a view into places that lots of us don't. I've not lived in other countries and been immersed in those experiences. What kind of challenges have you seen that women face globally in terms of their careers, obviously, but also their place in the world and their ability to step into and offer their full potential? Yeah, this, this cha the challenges for gender equity and opportunity and, and parity are, they have no country. You know, I have not been in all the countries, but in every country that I have been and I, I, I've been exposed to, the challenge is the same uh, to, to different degrees because some of the, the unfairness and the inequity in the system in some countries is ingrained and embedded into most aspects of the system, even in the legal framework. Um, in some others, it's more, has become more invisible. So what are challenges? I'll start with education and access to the same opportunities. In some cases, because there's no access, there's no actual access to, you know, for women to, to have education or education in certain fields or in, cer or in certain skills and knowledge that will help them not only grow and develop personally, but be self-sufficient and have a, a career and profession and be able to take care of themselves without depending on the patriarchy structure, in some cases, is just family mindset. The way we treat boys and girls, right, differently. How we use gender to, even unconscious, we message, right, what women can aspire to do or how they see themselves in the world and how men do. These messages and this programming has been built for centuries, maybe more than centuries. And so just being aware that exists and sometimes making it visible is the first step to be able to address it. Um, but it's so pervasive and so systemic that it is built into the system. As those challenges, I come from a country that is much more, um, I think in terms of so social norms, 
uh, cultural norms in Mexico and Latin America, there is more acceptance of gender division of, of roles. And sometimes we even say that the virtue of women as the housekeepers and the, the rock in the family. And so it can be disguised as a virtue where it's another mechanism to say there's a place where women fit best in our society and, we're, and, then, and when they don't. That live in Mexico for me was illuminating. Now that also meant that I encountered completely different and everything was solved everywhere else, but it allowed me to see those, what I perceive to be the normal uh, and the way things were talked about in some ways similar to what I was seeing and in other cases very different and allowed me to see the possibilities and think differently about it. Again, it, it, it's such a big question. Like, What are some of those barriers? There are many, some are systemic, some are behavioral. There's no doubt yeah. about it. I, I couldn't agree more. The, the conversation around how we socialize our children and ingrain in them at such an early age, what's the right thing to do and what's the wrong thing to do. We've got a long way to go before we can neutralize that in our families in a different way. I know with my granddaughters, we try very hard to make sure that we don't slot them into thinking that they can only do this or they can only do that in life and try to leave the the possibilities as open as we possibly can. So appreciate that perspective. And Guillermo, knowing what I know about your family, I would maybe ask you what types of role models you had from a female perspective mm -hmm. that might have led you to be a little bit more open than maybe the society in which you were brought up. I was there, there a blessing in my life and amazing role models throughout my family, you know, definitely my mom. One of the things that I am very proud of, of her, and that has been really modeling of uh, constant growth and, and development and learning and pursuit of better. My mom went through finished kind of secondary school. It, it, in Mexico at the time, there was like a technical school where it was a combination of high school, but not full high school, and then some trade that you could learn. Um, to do. And so she went through, she got married young. I think she got married when she was 20 and then had me when she was 21. And my, my father was working and doing MBA. So, you know, she took care of us kids, but always I think having the back of her mind, okay, I, I there, there are things I want to continue to do, right? My journey hasn't stopped and I'm not done with my own development and my own life yet. So uh, later on, she uh, did like male programming and finished her high school degree, what would be equivalent to a GED. And then she went, instead of working, she had a long career. She still has that part of her, her world in direct sales and created open a distribution center in our hometown and always was studying, taking certi certifications, learning to do different things, a lot of self-development and introspection, avid reader. And I think when she thought that she had a time and she was ready. She went back, well, she went to school and went to university at age 60 and completed a degree in nutrition because that was a passion she had developed and she just wanted to do the next thing for her in her education. And so she's practicing and she still has other things that she's studying and doing. So it's an amazing example for me of drive determination and always pursuing more for her. My grandmother, her mother, and I think probably my mom got it from her as well, was a pillar in the community, in the small community where they grew up. She was a teacher for the longest time and very, was very influential. My grandfather had two terms as a municipal president, like a mayor of, of a small town. And so she was 
both continue to work, but also uh, was a public servant. And so very involved in the community, well-respected. So in my family, I can think of two of them as just examples of drive, work, and the spirit of service and, and achieving goals. And then I chose a profession where most, I, the majority of uh, my peers and, and leaders have been women. And so I've seen firsthand the great success and the skills and the uh, and everything that I've gained as a professional with, from mentors and managers and, and again, as peers. I, I don't have to imagine. I, I don't have to just think about, well, yes, of course, women can do all of these things. I've seen that firsthand and it's never been a question in my mind. So I would say those, this both professional, but definitely my family, I saw it from an early age. So in your roles in human resources, in the work that you're doing now, you've had an opportunity to do coaching and training and learning for organizations around these conversations around diversity, around inclusion. I'm curious about what it is that you find yourself talking about and coming back to the most as you have these conversations in the professional setting that you've had in your past experience. I love that question. I find myself talking about intention, the difference between intention and impact. I, I think one of the, what has got in our way to make more progress in our, in the way we're inclusive in our language and actions individually, not talking about systems. Now systems are created by our actions too. So it, it has that connection. But is I think that, and it's a very human trait, when we feel that our character or our intentions are being judged or that's what is being evaluated, we are more defensive and to find ways to explain why is, is not the case, right? What's happening is, well, I didn't intend that. Yeah, I know I said this or made this decision, but it, it was, uh, there was no ill intent or, you know, hey, I am a mentor to women or I've had, I'm connected to these organizations. I, I have credentials to show you that right, I'm, a, I'm a good person and I'm a fair person as a leader. And so I talk about in those conversations, and there's a recent book that I highly recommend called The Person You Mean to Be. And it opened my eyes to how to describe the or approach this conversation. So that book did talking about we're not good or bad people, we're goodish people, and we're always trying to do better. And so not to think about feedback that we get or acknowledgement that something that we say or did, recent or in the past, and have an impact that we didn't intend. And, and that means that we don't care or we, we're not the, the best leaders or, or, or good people. But saying this is a behavior that I didn't know could get in the way or create a barrier. Now that I'm realizing that's the case, it's a gift because I can do something about it. And if my intent is to be a better leader, to, be, to really contribute to equity, fairness, development, to that, the kind of world that we want to see at the workplace and in society, then uh, what I care about is getting it right. It's not being right, but it's getting it right. That's a, a Brene Brown talking. I, I, it's, not my, it's not my saying. It's, it's not about being right, but it's about getting it. Um, so it's that growth mindset, right, that we also talk about. It's not you're either good or bad, either uh, inclusive or not inclusive. You can get better at this. And so that's a conversation that I keep having. So to demystify what is inclusion and what do you want me to do? I care. 
Now I speak about it. I try to open my mind. So what else do you want me to do? And I think it's talking about those moments that make a big difference for people and being mindful and being self-auditing, paying attention to not just our intentions, but the impact that we have. Uh, Guillermo, I I really um, resonate with that. A lot of the work that I do, even in in executive coaching, lands in that same space because it's about alignment between the intention and the perception. And we are all moving so quickly. I I love your term, we're goodish. That really resonates for me because I do believe that most people at their core try to do their best. I don't think we've got an entire society walking around trying to be insensitive or we've got basically good intentions, but sometimes the way we project those intentions is not received correctly for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And then the receiver hasn't felt for whatever reason that they can call that out or say, this is how this makes me feel. And we've not been able to have those conversations. And I'm trying really hard in my own life to be more curious about things. When sometimes the reaction is very subtle. It's not that somebody's eyebrows raise on their face or that, but you can tell that something you said just didn't land properly. And I think we have to be more engaged as human beings in just picking up on those subtle clues that we get from each other. You as the receiver to say, gee, Holly, here, here's what I heard you say. And this is how it's making me feel. Is that what you intended? Giving me the opportunity to say, oh no, let me explain. But we don't take the time to do that properly. Yeah. There's so much to unpack here. I, so a few thoughts. One of this happens with, with our closest, the people that are closest to us too. So we're not even talking about uh, someone that we meet for the first time or that, you know, we, we really feel that we're very different. We're talking about our partners in life, our family members, our best friends, right? People who we've known for a while. So it's, again, it's a, it's a natural human thing that we're, we're, we live in our head and we interpret the world based on, you know, how we're processing information and, you know, we have selective hearing selective observation. So we grab some pieces, make meaning, and then boom, that's how our brains work. Um, And and so uh, you're absolutely right. Paying attention to those cues, that's how we improve relationships. That is the only way that you can avoid the stepping into the same thing over and over again. (laughs) And and yet we still do it. So this is complex. This is not an easy thing. Now we know what can help us. So something that you you never finish. We have to constantly be practicing this and remember that if we don't pay attention to it, we, we might fall again into that disconnect and, and how impact our relationships. That is exacerbated because the frequency of interactions and the trust that we have with others. If it happens with people that we're closest to and we know them so well, and if there's an eyebrow that is raised, we know what it means. The people that we don't know that well, and we don't take the time to even ask or create a space for that feedback to come to us, and the, the potential for right, the, the possibilities for disconnect uh, is endless. And that's, I think, why we are where we are oftentimes, either trying to defend our position or really feel clueless 
or, or, or have a hard time understanding why this had the impact in others that it did and have a solution. Otherwise, I will have already used it <laughs> to make this world better. Um, but what I have what I have come up with as something that can help is um, get it, getting to know people at the personal level and spending that time because we're more likely to tell someone that we trust and that we know uh, what that we trust their intentions. We're more likely to give them the feedback to say, you know what, you said this. I don't think you meant it this way, but here's how it sounded because we are invested in the relationship. If I don't have the investment, I would probably let it go. I don't want to get into it. I don't either have time for that or, you know, what? It does, it's not going to really matter. So you can make all kinds of reasons why not to do it. The reason to do it is if you have an investment in the relationship. So that's one thing. Yeah. Um, right. And then the second is the proverbial psychological safety that we all have to keep working at. Because if there is an environment, in addition to the relationship, is there is an environment that we're part of where making waves, being disagreeable, not just focusing on the getting things done, having thick skin. If that's what we're expected to do, what reason would you have to have those conversations? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And, and it's not just, it's not only on the shoulders of the person who is is providing the feedback, it's then also incumbent on the individual who's getting the feedback to be able to sit in a place of remembering that the feedback is a gift, it's not an attack. A huge hill to try to crawl up, a huge hill. And that's why we still have all the challenges we have, but yeah, you have nailed it right on the head. And I love having this conversation because Hopefully people can leave this thinking, how can I be just a tiny bit better today? You don't have to be transformed overnight, but how can we all be just a tiny bit better today? Yeah, I, I think that's what we can aspire to. That, that's our goal in all, in all areas of life. So this is no different. How can we, and it starts with awareness and acceptance of, I'm in a place where I can do better, a little bit better matters. And it's not coming from, I am wrong or I'm broken, need to be fixed. I need to go from bad to good is I care about being better as a human being. I want to, too. I, it aligns with the values of most people of wanting to give something to the world and be a, at least not leave the world a, a worse place. So, so it aligns with our values. We already have that intention. It is just saying the small things matter. If you want to be better, be curious be open, but more than anything, do something. This is not one of those, I can tell you the difference between awareness and action, because if that were the same thing, I would be way fitter and I will be way smarter and more well-read and my cholesterol will not be what it is. Awareness and action are definitely not the same. And so find what you can do. And then, and then the next day you may find something else you can do and then do it. It's not about the big things, right? It's not about changing the world and taking on a, a crusade. There's some people who do, and we thank, the, we, we thank everyone for that, but it also, it's not necessary. You can do little things, but, but just do And what you're describing is the basis of allyship, right? It's the basis of in organizations in our lives where we, to your point, make the determination that we want to be better. We want to contribute 
more in a positive way. And this concept of allyship has been talked about in a number of different ways at a number of different points of time. And I love the simplicity of just do something, just try something different, just have a different conversation, listen in a different way. It isn't necessarily about the crusade or the globally changing environment. It's of those personal interactions that somebody feels seen, they feel heard, they feel that somebody cares and that somebody wants to understand them as an individual. And that's where the concept of allyship really lands for me when we start talking about those things that we could do differently, those differences that we could make in somebody else's life or in somebody else's career or in somebody else's day. But those are the things that we, to your point, can get better at a little bit at a time. And that's acting in allyship. I, I love it, 100%. Uh, allyship is, is in action. Uh, it's not just in spirit. And, and I will say to allyship, allyship is about others, not about us. And I think sometimes in the effort to do good and to be a good ally, we can make it about ourselves and focus on, well, I want to be a good ally. So I need to show that I'm an ally. And the benefit or, or the, the value of providing allyship or, or acting on, from allyship is from the understanding of what the other person needs, what's meaningful and helpful to them. It's not what we think. It's not a list of, well, you can be an ally by doing these five things. Is right, like in any relationship, it's understanding where the person is at, what they need, and is with, it's not, I will say it's, it's with the permission, but it's not, they have to see that as, the, the valuable thing that they are looking for, not what we think that is needed to solve a problem. So allyship is, now that's allyship, not only about in the moment of providing support or, but it can be so a, an example that comes to mind about allyship. You may have a conversation with someone and you're getting to know them. You're not solving. It's part of the coaching process, uh, Holly, right? You're not solving. You, you seek to understand. In that conversation, you may identify or, or learn that one of the, their own barriers to where they want to go or what they want to do is just access to an opportunity or the, that they need to find a way to share a concern or to raise their hand to have an opportunity. Um, allyship can look in different ways in that moment, right? By, by listening and asking questions and helping the person maybe even solve for what they can do next, that's allyship. You can also say, well, let me, I, I know I have access, right? I am I, in spaces where I can provide that link. That's also allyship. There's a point where you can be in that, that was a conversation and there's, you find yourself in a space where you can speak about that person or, um, or, or the barrier that you learn from that person, that's also allyship. And so it's contributing to make it to make it better, not only for the person, but for to, to address again some of those barriers and, and challenges. And so there's no one way to do it. And that's what it has to be centered on those that you're an ally to. Now we all need allies, we all have allies that help us. And so this is also not one-sided, right? It's also not there's this group of allies that help this other group that need allyship. This whole conversation is just so appropriate as I think about 
the shortage of talent in the world right now. And to steal a phrase from a very old song, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And that's where a lot of companies are at right now. And it's, we have talent out there for whatever reason, they don't feel welcomed into our environments. And if we want to be able to solve for the very critical talent shortage that's occurring right now around the world, we have to find ways to make people feel welcome and that they are appreciated for what they bring, regardless of what flaws or whatever perceptions people have about them. And I, I cheer you on for being part of helping to create space for that, because until we can be more accepting and welcoming to others, we're all going to be working a hell of a lot harder than we need to, because everyone isn't contributing to the level that they're able to, because they feel oppressed by this thing that's out there. So I love the fact that you t- that your role includes diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. People need to feel like they belong. They really do. Yeah. I, I don't remember if it's part of the Maslow hierarchy of needs. It, it's pro- it probably is. And if it's not, then we should add it. But I, no, no matter who you are, not... I think that the feeling of not being connected to a whole it is, it's, it's, it's so hard on our hearts and souls and our minds. And it, it's, it's impossible to be at your best where you're struggling to feel that there's, you're part of a whole, that others want you, that, 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 you, that you are just naturally part of that community. And we, the, the last, the, the time of the pandemic has, I think, both proven that uh, the strong connection between that belonging and our wellness, mental health, uh, our energy, our ability to not only live well, but be able to do our best work. And it's also, or, or, again, reminded us that the challenges are not the same for everyone. And there's the saying that when the rises are, and I don't know if it's a saying, I think it's a saying, when the rises are high, what the rises, the tides are high, right? It's like when you're in, in any body of water, um, you don't see, you know, the rocks, you don't see a lot of the things that are at the bottom that, you know, are just because the economy can be going well. And overall, our perception, there are times that things seem to be going well. And so we say they're going well forever, especially those of us who are privileged to, ha- to, to have that visibility and where things go well, that we feel that are in our communities, in the people that we can see. The reality is that for there are many people where things don't really get better, even when things for overall get better. The, their barriers don't change. The, the inequities that exist don't change. And so we become more aware of them when the tides come down or the water level comes down, which the pandemic has done that in some ways, right? Looking at uh, against inequality of working mothers, women, for sure, in how they are living the workplace, in some age range, in, in our workers, in some professional fields, some parts of the country. So we're now seeing those did not just happen because of the pandemic. They were there. We just didn't, didn't see them as much because, you know, the ties were higher. And so now that, we, now that they're there, we need to be intentional about taking action. It is likely that if we do nothing, when the ties come up again, 
this will become less present and less urgent for those of us that will not have the visibility and will it's easy to forget right that those things still exist yes i, I the, the the current situation for uh, about employment is seems to be tighter than ever before and but part of the reason why is that we have not addressed some of those systemic barriers. And so we keep stumbling into that every time we, we have this situation with a tough employment market. It's because we're not really having everyone who could be contributing and have the opportunity to work. And so that's a thing to solve for. It's a small one. It's a small thing to solve for. Well, Guillermo, I can um, honestly say that we could probably spend the next couple of hours together talking, the three of us, but I want to wrap up by asking you one last question around your advice for people in organizations or aspiring to positions in organizations who might be part of those underrepresented or marginalized groups. What advice would you have for um, them as they work to try to build some of those relationships that we've been talking about or make some of the headway that we've been discussing? Um, yes, I appreciate the question. It's uh, there the are two things that come to mind. We, we put a lot of onus on the people who are underrepresented and underserved to overcome. And then we, of course, that's what we're celebrating. The first African-American vice president or the first women business leader, um, that's an indication not of just the, the skills and the uh, abilities and what that person brings to the table is an indication that we make it so hard for everyone else in some of those groups that we have to celebrate like someone who survived the journey and, and made it all the way there. So I think is one thing for the good of, of not being in the same place years from now is, is speaking to what you're seeing. What are those barriers? What are you not getting? Not just it's not just about advocating for yourself. Yes, that's important. But when more voices are heard saying, identifying the same barriers, then we can really see the issue. And, and so it's important to, to make them. Now, the individual level, I say it's, it's a combination of um, having a support system. You want to build your community. I wish all of the work in belonging will mean that everyone, no matter who they work, feel all the time that they belong. For those in numerical minority and some underrepresented, it, it, it's not as likely for them to have a natural experience like that. If, if you're not feeling that connection within your department, your team, your function, it is important to find a place where you find that community that can help nurture you and, and you know, energize you to be able to balance what you're experiencing as being you know, underrepresented or not being, not feeling connected within your team department. And then I will say that within your job team department, you want to find also build relationships and understand your network and be intentional about finding mentors, you know, people who, you know, you, you can build trust with and, and that they get to know you and they can see you. And so you need to tell them who you are. You need to have, they need to have exposure to you. And I think sometimes because it's hard being in that group, and we're just tired and you say, why should I be the one doing that work? Like, you know, the organization should, you know, know that I need this and who, so what, what are they doing? Absolutely valid point. But when you look at what you need to seek it out, uh, and that applies to everyone. We know the value of mentors and sponsors and people who can help pull you up 
and, and give you visibility to what the opportunities are. We have our own responsibility to seek, to keep growing without discounting that it is harder sometimes to do when you're spending mental energy being not having that natural access, right, to those resources. Does that, does that resonate? Absolutely. I think that's great advice. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. The conversation has been thoroughly enjoyable, and we really do appreciate the perspective and the insight of your experience and the things that you have seen and experienced firsthand. And I think that's been very helpful for us and to our listeners. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much, Guillermo. What a terrific conversation. We'll be sure and put your contact information in the show notes. So if people want to reach out to you for a conversation or get further into your thoughts on a particular topic that's been covered today, they'll be able to get in touch with you. So thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for creating this space and sharing these stories. I love your work. I'm a big fan. I please keep doing this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.